Hello, welcome to Beyond Parenting. My name is Beth Hardy and I'm here to talk to you about parenting, what it means to you and different ways of looking at it. You may have broken free of the chains of the cycles that have been passed on to you from your family of origin, but are you stepping in the direction which is supportive of where you want to be? So we examine all things from things to do with partners, teenagers, younger kids, blowing your top, self-care and more. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to today's podcast of Beyond Parenting. And today we meet Maria. Maria is a parent to three children, one of whom happens to have had hearing loss and as a consequence her parenting life switched around completely when he was a toddler and made some huge changes. It's fascinating to hear her story and how they supported their son in the best way and how she had to give up her entire life that she wasn't expecting to and consequently all the decisions they went on and made as a family and how they went on and dealt with all of that stuff. So it's a fascinating story. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Have fun listening. Hello and welcome, Maria. It's great to have you here on Beyond Parenting. I'm so excited to hear from you about your, your journey um, through parenting. So do you want to talk us a bit about one of your most standout things that you have in your life as a parent? What would you say? Absolutely. First, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're welcome. Um, Okay, so one of the standout moments of our parenting journey, I say our, my husband and I have been married for 13, maybe 14 years, um, was when we had just recently moved all the way across the country from our family and friends and our support system. And we had a 15 month old oldest baby and a brand new, new baby. And we started to realize that something wasn't wasn't really quite right with our son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had stopped babbling and he had stopped making noises pretty much at all. I had taught him a couple baby signs, you know, as many moms do. And he was just making up more and more and more signs. And we just realized something wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. So uh, at his 18-month checkup, he had a lot of red flags for autism. And that was, you know, a really tough time in terms of being a parent because, you know, you're, it's your first child. You don't really know what you're doing. Um, You're, we were all alone in terms of geographically. We didn't have really any help. My husband was working for a startup. So that was really unsure. Mm. And we had a newborn baby. And then we had this, you know, toddler who, we were thinking would have, would need a lot of our time and attention. Long story short, he did not have autism. He had hearing loss. Okay. And that in itself was really shocking to us. Mm. He had enough hearing that we could, we didn't suspect it. I mean, honestly, we had no idea. He would turn and look at us. He would, um, you know, play. He just, he wasn't talking. And so, okay. uh, we had no idea. And so having that diagnosis was really, really scary. And that 
set our family on a path that really changed us as parents. I bet. So just thinking about what happened during that diagnosis, Maria, so you're faced with it. What's going through your mind on that day when you're hearing that information? So it was actually a process. Um, You have to go through several different steps to um, to get that official diagnosis, including, you know, many um, trips to the, the hearing booth. So you're taking this baby into a sound booth and and they're looking for him to turn his head at different sounds. And he had several tests, I think three or four that were inconclusive. And then you would have to wait a month or a month and a half for the next test. Oh, and so okay. we did that several times. And then um, finally, we actually had him sedated and he had what's called an ABR and they they put the baby under and they test him while he's sleeping. And then that gives you a definitive um, answer. And so that whole process took a really long time. And so we had time to kind of ease into it, I guess you could say. Mm, Acclimatizing, um, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's not like you walk in and they're like, oh, there it is. That That's what it is. I mean, we had that in a sense that, you know, one of the specialists we saw said, this is what he has, but I can't diagnose him. So um, it was more of like a, a longer process to get that official diagnosis. And And during that time, we were, at first, we were, I mean, I'm kind of ashamed to say it now, but we were grieving. We were horrified. We were um, just so sad. You know, you, you, you picture your baby and you picture what you think, you know, cause you don't know all of the things that he'll never do. Yeah. And it turns out those, the, all those ideas and thoughts are wrong, but at the time you don't know, you're just really scared. And you're grieving the loss of what, what you think could have been when actually could never have been but you're kind of reading that Mm. right you know and your mind I think goes always to the worst place you know I know one of the things I thought was oh you know he'll he'll have to wear these big huge things on hearing aids on his ears and you know girls won't want to date him and he'll never get married and he'll and you know you see you go right to the (laughs) right to the end the whole life And, and none of that is true, but in the moment, you don't know better, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's quite common when people are experiencing that for their kids of something that's different about them. For sure. I think, you know, they say the worst thing you can do is Google because <laughs> <laughs> you'll go down the rabbit hole. And that's very true. Yeah. And you just get more scared and more scared. And you're normally doing it late at night, aren't you, when the kids have gone to bed? which is even worse. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. That's so right. Yes. So carry on with your, um, with your story, because I did interrupt you there. So, so, so like I said, we were really far from our family and support system and, and they were great from afar, but there's something to be said about, you know, having, having your mom, like, stop over and, and give you a hug or whatever. So we didn't really have that. And um, it was, it was really just me and my husband and, and we felt that. And so, you know, I think it's, it's easy to go one of two ways when you're faced with something that could potentially change your life. You can either go at it together or you kind of turn away and deal with it separately. And, Mm. and fortunately 
fortunately he and I were on the same page and we, it really did make us closer together. And so when I look back at that time and I think about all of the conversations we had and all the worries and, and all of the spiraling, um, and then also all of the picking each other up and putting the pieces back and looking for the positive and, and saying, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this. We can handle this. It really brought us a lot stronger in our marriage. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say that, you know, my son's disability was a blessing, but it was good for my husband and I to cement our marriage. We were, we weren't even married that long. We had these two little kids, you know, mm. it, it could have gone very differently. So what was it that helped with that communication? Was it kind of one person drawing you along or was it a bit of both each helping when the other one was down or yeah, it was very much, very much um, when one of us would see the other was feeling down or, or out of, out of, out of it. Um, the other would say like, come on, like, we're, we've got this, we're in this together. And it's going to be okay. You picked well then, Maria. Well done. <laughs> I did. I did pick well. <laughs> I'd like to think he picked well too. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you, um, so you've got the diagnosis and you're working out what's, what, what is next. So what was next, Maria? Yeah. So at that point you have a lot of people kind of like descending on you and offering you advice. Um, we had early intervention and they had said one thing and we happened to live close to um, a deaf community and their um, active chapter came out and, and kind of talked with us and, and, um, and they actually told us, you know, they did a little evaluation and they said, he'll never talk. He'll never be able to talk. And, your whole family will need to learn sign language. And that news was really upsetting. I mean, I'm picturing, you know, my parents and my husband's parents learning sign language. I'm picturing, you know, this, this child who can't hear me. And, and our lifestyle is such that, you know, we go to the beach and we go hiking and, and I'm thinking of, of how do you get a child's attention when they're, you know, neck high in the water and you're standing on the shore. And, yeah. and there are millions of families who have figured this out and who have made a great life for their children using sign language. Um, but at that time, it was so scary for us. And we really just didn't know what to do. We had this one group saying, you know, he'll never talk. He'll never be part of the hearing world. And we had this other group saying, well, you know, there's this school that's not too far away. Um, and their whole mission is to teach children who can't hear how to hear and listen and talk. And so wow. my husband and I really, really weighed out these options and we, um, we decided to enroll him in the school. It was a tough decision because there's a lot of controversy in the deaf community about, about that. And so that in itself, that decision itself came with a lot of angst, I guess you could say. 
Um, but we knew that it was right for our family. And so tell us a bit about the controversy, uh, if you don't mind, Maria, because I'm not sure everyone would know what it is. There is, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I would not consider myself part of the deaf community. So I don't want to speak for them, but I know that there are many people who feel like being deaf is part of your identity and to have hearing aids or have cochlear implants um, takes away from that identity. And they really believe that you don't need those things to live a full life. And that's their prerogative. And that's, you know, they've, they've built a whole life for themselves with that philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to say that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that wasn't the right choice for our family. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's useful information. Thank you for filling us in on that. Um, so yeah. carry on with your story, Maria. <laughs> okay, so we went to visit the school and I feel like now I could totally be like an ad for the school because, you know... <laughs> You walk into this school and you're you're scared and you're nervous and you're not sure and you walk into the school and they start each day with all of the children and the parents singing. And so you walk into this room and it's full of these little, little kids wearing, you know, hearing aids and cochlear implants and bahas and they're singing and, and you're like, oh my gosh, like my child is going to be fine. There's just so much hope in that room. There's so much joy. There's so much support. And you walk in and you just, I knew within five minutes of being in that room, this is where he was going to go. And that school changed the, the path of, of our son's life. I mean, truly he he started that school. He was a little less than two years old. He had less than five spoken words. Okay. And he, he left that school speaking perfectly. Wow. I mean, amazing. It was, it was, it was amazing. And what span, what span of time was that, that he was there? That was two years though. He was there for about two years. Um, they, that school starts children much earlier. Like they start kids, I think as young as six months old, but our son had just been diagnosed. So um, he started right before he was two. And, um, you know, you, you think about what you will do for your child. It's it, that school and that community of, of parents. And it's just a testament to how, if you are willing to put the work in for your child, you'll find a way. I Mm. mean, there were so many parents and I was one of them who stayed at that school all day because we came from too far to drop our kids off and leave. And part of what they do is they have parent supports. They have therapy for parents. They have parent trainings. Um, they have, um, the children are pulled out of the classroom every day for one-on-one therapy, speech and language therapy. And the parents are invited into that therapy every day. The classrooms have windows, like one-way windows. So you can watch your child's teacher teach and then take all of that, all of it back home and continue educating your child and how to listen and how to speak. And when you think about that 
mission and that philosophy, they've, they've really given the parents everything that they need to leave school, right? Because you're there from 8.30 to, I forget, 1, 1.30, something like that, and continue. You still have hours in the day mm-hmm. that your child needs to be catching up, essentially. And so- so- so tell me, when you were looking through that window, give us a little picture of what, what you would be seeing and witnessing. Um, so the therapy was very, very directed. You know, the SLPs did a great job. Speech and language pathologists did a great job in terms of um, always having activities, like one-on-one activities that really focused on listening skills. And then they would do, you know, mouth work and things like that, how to place your tongue and all the things that they've been trained to do. The teachers were equally as trained, but not as speech and language pathologists. They were trained as teacher of the deaf, teachers of the deaf. And so mm-hmm. what they would do is they would they would model how to talk to your child to make your child listen. So, you know, like a really quick example would be most moms running around in the morning would say something like, go get your shoes on. And they would point to the shoes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so your child is picking up on, oh, it's that time of day. Everyone else is getting shoes on. Mom just pointed to the shoes. All of those visual cues are really showing your child what to do without any auditory. So the teachers mm-hmm. would do things like, um, I don't have a piece of paper, so I'm going to use my phone. Please go put your shoes on. They'd cover their mouth so that the child couldn't lip read. They would not use any, you know, pointing gestures. And there would be no cues in terms of everyone else is doing this, you know, until the kids get out and start doing it. But then they would be able to evaluate, is this child actually hearing the cue or is he just really aware of his surroundings and figuring out what to do? Mm. And so they would use those examples to kind of build, um, a plan for your, for your child yeah, and what to do from there. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stuff that, that so information I never wanted to know. <laughs> no, I know. And you never knew these things were going on. Right. And yeah. that, I mean, that's exactly what this podcast is about is about helping people to open their eyes to other people's experiences and what's going on, what we don't, what we don't hear normally so well I'll say you know with that in mind there's that that really famous quote quote saying you know be kind because everyone's fighting a a battle right that you don't know about Mm -hmm. and there was one support session where it's mostly all women were in the circle all the moms every single mom there had given up a job or a career to be at therapy, to be, you know, running to the ENT, to be going to the audiologist 18 times a month. Not really. Um, Feels like that. Yeah. So, you know, you you look around this room and you just think all of these moms, there were a couple of dads, you know, gave up what they thought their life was going to be like to be here, to do the best Mm -hmm. for their child. And it's really kind of overwhelming when you think about it. And it wasn't like an active choice, like, oh, when when my when I have kids, I'm just going to be there for my kids all the time. You don't like get pregnant and think, okay, there bang goes my job and my career. Yeah. 
but essentially that's what's happened to a lot of people. Yeah. So I would say to your listeners, you know, your child might not have hearing loss, but whatever it is that you're struggling with, find that group, find that community of, of people who are going through the same thing, whether that's, you know, being in a new city or your child having a, a diagnosis that you're not sure what to do about. If you can find that group, they're out there. You just might not know it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so look for them and, and immerse yourself in that community and, um, you know, the value that you get from them, then you'll then be able to pass on to someone else. So what did you, um, what got you through that experience of those, those few years where you've essentially done that, you've given up on all the things and the possibilities of what you maybe had dreamed about as coffee, <laughs> coffee, <laughs> just kidding, a lot of coffee. Um, like I said, my, my husband and I did become really, um, really strong. We, we really just had each other out there. And um, I will say that there were some dark times and I didn't realize it at the time, but my mom used to email me every day. Um, it was an email that she called threads and she was threading our life together And it was just a quick couple sentences, but I looked forward to that email and we were in different time zones, right? So it was like sometimes hard to talk. Um, So that email was, was something that was really special to me Mm -hmm. and kept me going when I just thought I can't do this anymore. Um, Remember I had a, I had a baby too, right? So you had to take the baby with you to the school. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. She came with me. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were up all night with the baby and then at class all day and doing therapy and, and the school was so far that we would pack up and be there all day. And it was it's a lot. It was a, it lot. Is a lot to do with a baby with another child. It's a lot just anyway, but with it. At, at, at the time, my husband and I, we had we had like no money and I splurged and I would hire this girl who lived on the street and she would come for two hours a week. And I would sometimes just go to the end of the street and sleep in my car. <laughs> like I just need to get out of the house, <laughs> but I didn't, I, we didn't have money for me to like go shopping or anything during that time. You know? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't getting my nails done. I was just sleeping in my car down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Things I needed the break though. Well, that's it. The mental space, because having a sleep in your own house is not the same when you've got the demands, right? Right. They like knock on the door, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not the same. So after, after that experience with that school, um, obviously your son stopped going there. What happened? What was the trajectory that going forward for you all? So when he was about four, they had said, you know, he is ready to be in a mainstream school. And um, we had been in California, I think about three years around that time, two, two ish, three years. And we were starting to feel kind of settled there. And my husband and I kind of were like, well, we're going to stay here not stay here like what are we gonna do and we decided that we wanted to go back to the east coast and be closer to our family and friends and so in like another move that 
I'm sure my parents think we're crazy. I'm sure his parents think we're crazy. He quit his job. He was the only breadwinner. We had three kids at that time. We had added another, our youngest son, and we got rid of both of our cars, gave up our lease, sold about half of our stuff and moved to the East Coast with nowhere to live, no cars. Um, We landed at my parents for a couple weeks and I found till we got a house and um, we decided to move back to the East Coast. I guess it's the long, long way of saying that is... um, and we are, we enrolled our son in a normal, typical hearing, normal um, preschool, and he's since done really well. So he's continued on. Um, he's in sixth grade now, and he does fairly well in school. And um, like I said, he speaks and listens beautifully. He does have an IEP, and we'll hold on to that. Um, he does get a teacher of the deaf works with him once a week. And at this point, it's really more about him, you know, speaking up for himself and advocating for himself. It's not speech therapy or, or anything okay. like that. So he doesn't have like the regular, well, he has regular, but not like ongoing everyday support in no. the classroom. No, he's wow. doing well. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. It is impressive. He had a really good foundation and, um, you know, I really do credit credit it, that school with giving him that foundation, but also I think that his hearing loss is such that um, he can do fairly well, um, even without his hearing aids at this point, especially in a familiar setting. Um, and so I think, you know, the combination of all those things really helps him. He, he depends a lot on lip reading. So COVID was very challenging for him. Um, the yeah. mask are really challenging um but now that that's over he's he's back to doing really well yeah that must have been really challenging as well with the zooms and stuff with school how did how did that work for him not well (laughs) um it was very very frustrating for him I think that was probably like his worst school experience because even in person with the masks you're still closer or you can um, pick up on cues around you. Whereas when you're just looking at like what you see in the square, there are no other cues. And, um, you know, when you think about like the sound is coming from the teacher's computer through his computer, then through his aides, it's like three layers of Mm. technology that it's going through. And so that was really challenging for him. And, and honestly, there were a lot of days when I just said to him, just, just turn it off, buddy, you know, like we'll catch you up. We can figure this out. You need mm. a little, just for his mental. Yeah. Cause that's health. really stressful. I mean, I, I only had to do one. My youngest was doing, did zooms and stuff and he was quite young at the time. So it wasn't that important, but he had like, like half an hour twice a day and it was so much because it's so intense in that space and being intense and having that extra layer those extra layers of difficulty sounds really hard yeah you know I think so many children struggled um you so many so many children struggled missing their friends Mm. or 
So if, if you have a child who can't sit still, just so many kids mm-hmm. struggle so many different ways that I wouldn't want to say that, you know, our son struggled more than anyone. Um, I think a lot of kids struggled in a lot of different ways. Totally. It's been a really tough few years. And because the kids, like, it is a really large proportion of their lives. Yeah. I look at, like, my youngest, he was not even four going into it, and now he's six. And my other ones, they've kind of, they're teenagers now. And I'm like, they went into the the pandemic, all these innocent kids, and now they've popped out the other side and it's, they're in a whole different world. I'm like, how on earth did that happen? Yeah. It's really, yeah. really strange thinking about it. Um, sorry, we'll come back on to where you're at. So, so now um, your son's in sixth grade. So what is he, 10, 11? Is that? He's, he's 11. 11. Yep. He's 11 yeah. and he's, he's um he's just starting to care about what he's wearing and his mm-hmm. hair things like that I don't want to say anything to embarrass him but um he's starting to care and um he does not like to wear his hearing aids so that is a constant struggle mm. we do have the rule that he must wear them when he goes to school um, we're more lenient in the summer. Like I said, he has enough hearing that he does really well, especially in familiar surroundings. They're not waterproof, right? So like there, there are no hearing aids that are waterproof. So we go to the beach a lot. He can't wear them there. You go to the pool a lot. He can't wear them there. So, um, so it's your fear, your fears around that when 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 he was little, that just takes me back. So how how is that? Like, what's the callback rate like? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we definitely had days where when he was a toddler and he would you know rip them out and put them somewhere and who knows where they were, right? Like I found mm. them in the craziest places. I found them under the sofa cushions. I found them in the vent of our house one time. I mean, you. Like when I think about that sometimes, like he he's lost him in the car when he was a toddler, like all the nooks and crannies, you know, you're, your mom, you know, how many nooks and crannies your car has It's for like all the Cheerios yeah. and Taco. that's where the movies go too. I mean, it is, it's not fun. No, because <laughs> you, especially you said that you didn't have a lot of money at the time and you were thinking, oh my God, that's so expensive. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Yeah, you're putting like, you know, six, seven thousand dollars worth of of bling that doesn't look like bling on a two-year-old. Right. You're like, oh my God, please. Um, so I said he's eleven and he's he's really responsible, but he just he called me the other day and he said, um, can I can I swim at a friend's house? And I said, Yeah. And um it was on the tip of my tongue to say, take out your hearing aids, but I didn't. Because, you know, he's like 11 and he's rolling his eyes whenever he's saying <laughs> really, really responsible. Um, and so I didn't say it. And he came home and he said, Mom, I forgot I was wearing them and I jumped in the pool with them. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They were fine. They were totally fine, fine. But I was definitely like, you know, you have to walk that line. Between- your heart's in your mouth isn't it or the other way around you help your mouth and help so are they insured or anything can you get them insured or not 
Um, so it's really tricky when every state has different insurance and different insurance plans offer different levels of insurance. And then we're now currently living in Canada. And so that's a whole different healthcare system. So there's a warranty. <laughs> um, they will typically replace them one time due to like normal wear and tear, not, no, you know, jumping in a pool, <laughs> in a pool or uh, things like that. It depends. It, it totally depends on your insurance. Right. Okay. So there's a possibility sometimes. So now you've told me you've been in three, like, like this in a triangle, it seems like. (laughs) Tell me more about that. I mean, what's going on with you, Maria? Can you not say, you got itchy, itchy feet all the time? Yeah, yeah. So, um, no. (laughs) Yeah. We started our our married life saying we were going to live in a, a suburb of Philadelphia for our whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, that would be, you know, within 30 minutes of all of our family and friends. And that's sort of what most of them do. And it's it builds a really nice community and a nice support system. And and that was our plan. Um, and since then, we've lived in, I think, six houses in the last 13 years. Okay. Three states, two coasts, two countries, and counting. And counting. So yes. that, is there something on the on the horizon then? Um, another move on the horizon. <laughs> yes, there there is. We're we're currently in Canada and we're U.S. citizens, so um, we do want to get back to the states um, eventually. We're just not quite sure where that's going to be, and we have decided. You know, it it has to be for our kids sake, it has to be the last move. You know, they're, they're getting to a point where they're in the ages of their seven, 10 and 11. And so, you know, their friends are starting to be really important to them. Yes. Uh, the next move is the last one. Next move is the last one. So, okay. What has prompted your move? I know the why you went from California to the East coast. Okay. So what, what about the other moves? What's prompted those um, so we moved from the East Coast to California for my husband's job. Okay. We moved, I told you why we moved back. Yeah. Um, and then we, like I said, we landed and didn't really have a place to live. And so we rented a house. Yeah. Um, just very kind of quickly until we could figure out where we wanted to be. Um, and so we were only in that house, I think about eight months Mm. and then we, um, moved to our forever home and a beautiful, lovely home. Um, and we did, you know, a bunch of renovations and, and, you know, really, really made it our own. And about, I don't know, a year or so in my husband was asked to move to Toronto. And so um, it was a huge promotion for him. And so we thought, yeah, let's, let's give it a shot. But it was again, um, like a startup. And so we thought I'll stay in our forever home with the kids and he'll go to Toronto and he will come back every weekend. And so he did, he flew home every weekend for about a year and a half. 
Okay. How was that? I mean, you've obviously talked about your solid relationship that you had developed and now it's moving into a whole different level where you've got sole responsibility for five days a week. That's a big change. That was a huge change. Um, that was a huge change. And, you know, I said before about finding your community, I thought I was the only person doing this. Like, who does that? Who lives in a separate country from their husband? Um, there is a huge number of what there's actually term single married moms. Okay. Um, and just in my little community, there were two, there was one in my neighborhood and there was one in my church group. And, and like, just hearing that was like, oh my God, like there are more of us. Um, so again, you know, try to find your people, <laughs> try mm-hmm. to, try to find those, those, those people who can lift you up and really understand what you're going through. Um, but how was it? Mm. It was, um, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> and how old were your kids at that point? Um, our youngest was two ish. Right. Toddler age. The others were like, um, five, six ish. Yeah. So it was a lot. And, um, I, I, um, I tried to do everything at that point. I was a, a full, full-time stay-at-home mom. Um, that was sort of, I think the only thing that would have worked for our family at that point, mm. like just, I tried to do literally everything so that when, when my husband and dad came home, we could just enjoy our time together. And I wasn't like, can you go mow the lawn or do food shopping? Like I wanted that time to be really quality, solid family time. Um, That's a lot to put on yourself, Maria. That's a lot of responsibility to to do a hundred percent of things in a shorter period of time, all on your own. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, like looking back, I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? Um, <laughs> it, well, it wasn't sustainable, which is why we no. all moved to Toronto. You know, it's, right. it's nobody can sustain that. Um, so how long did you manage that? Manage like? <laughs> um, I think about a year and a half. Right. I mean, pretty so long time. A long time to be. Pretty long time. That. Yeah. And, you know, the older kids were in school full-time. Our youngest was in preschool part-time. And so I did have that time during the day. Like, like I said, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom. So I would use that time maximum efficiency. And then things like sports, you know, I just found other moms in the neighborhood that I was friends with. Oh, your kids in swimming. Awesome. Can we car, can we share car, you know, what's the word? Can we um, carpool? I'll take him on Tuesdays. You take her on Thursdays and you just, you just build your system person by person and that's how we all do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've always struggled with building. I mean, you say you've managed to find these, these people in your communities. It's something I've always really struggled to do in my different circumstances of like looking out. Um, I don't know whether it's been, cause I'm, I'm a home educator and I've not necessarily lived near any, and um, and so that's but that on its own has been quite isolating. And then being a single mum as well, it's like 
you live a different life as well when you're a single mom like weekends are really bizarre because like everyone wants to hang out with their family and I'm like "Mm -mm." (laughs) it's just me again yeah yeah I can see that would be really challenging yeah anyway anyway (laughs) I've always struggled with that but obviously you found your ability to moving to different places that must have been like a little bit of a superpower you had in like okay I'm going to I've got to make these communities because I haven't got a choice you know I will say that that is something that I purposely set out to do um when when I went to California um I joined a mom's group and all of these moms had one baby and and I was there with like a 15 month old and a one month old. Right. And so they're all like sitting on the grass with their baby, you know, chilling. And I'm like, you know, feeling like a chicken without my head. And so I literally went through that group, like person by person and looked for moms who had two kids. Yeah. You, you <laughs> have I, to. Yeah. I did. And I privately messaged them and said, I, I can't do these like big you know, mom playdates, do you want to meet one-on-one? And and that's how I met my best friend out there. I mean, she was, she had exactly the same feeling as me and um, her children were also really close in age. And so you gotta like, you gotta figure out a way to make it work for you because it's, it would be, have been so easy to be like, oh, well, I just feel crazy going to this. So I'm not going to go, but I needed, I needed to build that community. Um, when it, when we moved to um, our forever home, I went in there, I feel like guns blazing. I was like, I'm joining the church group. I'm signing up for preschool helper. I'm joining the PTA. <laughs> like I'm joining the neighborhood block party planning group. And, you know, doing all of those things, you just sort of like, you cast this really wide net and you just sort mm-hmm. of knock out who, who you connect with. I think it's important. I would really encourage you <laughs> to cast that net. And um, yeah. I think I, you're right. It is really important. I've recently started doing it with my business. Um, I don't really be, have the capacity to do it in, in my social life at the moment, but um, <laughs> because my my kids are kind of a bit of a um, preclude, preclude, preclude that's happening a bit, but um but yeah, my business stuff, because people do it all online still, it makes it easier. <laughs> Whereas like social gatherings, like with people close to you, they don't still do Zooming anymore. <laughs> I need everyone to just do Zoom. And then I, can, I, I would have everything I need, but they don't do it anymore. It's annoying. How dare they go back to right. normal life and all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, tell me. Before we come to an end, I want to do a little bit of a quick fire with you. So I'm going to ask you some questions, just little quick answers. So um, what would you say um, was the worst is the worst thing about being a parent? The constant. Oh, my God. There's (laughs) always dirty socks on the floor. There's always lunches to be made. There's always laundry. There's just constantly constant. Yes. It just keeps going, never ending. Yeah. I did a TikTok the other day um, with, with the background of never ending story. <laughs> and I was, doing, <laughs> I was doing the ironing. <laughs> it just kept coming. Um, totally. What's, um, what would you say is the best thing about being a parent? 
Oh my gosh. So like, you know, that feeling when you can just make everything right. That's the best feeling. I think about that. Our youngest is seven and every single day after school, he runs across this field with his like, arms wide open into my arms. And like that feeling of just, wow. we belong together, I think is, is it's fleeting, right? Like when they're preteens, it goes away. Gone. But then it, <laughs> hopefully it comes back. Yes, having that, because it is the foundation, isn't it? Of, and, then, and then you have that breakaway that is essential for their survival. And so that's why they need to do it. But then hopefully they'll be able to check back in properly when they're older again. Yes. But it is weird, right, when you get to that stage where they're starting to do the breakaway because yeah. you have that intense time and then all of a sudden, oh, oh, you're gone. Because that's what's happened to me with lockdown. I'm like, oh, you're gone now, are you? <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. and it's like a, a stab in your heart, but you know it's not personal. No, no, it's essential, but... Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it is weird. That is such a lovely, lovely feeling. So with regards to parenting, would you say it's broke you down, it's lifted you up, or a bit of both, or a lot of one or the other? <laughs> both <laughs> yeah yeah for definitely for me every every day probably almost feels like yeah that yo-yo what would you say your favorite thing is about you Maria oh my gosh I wasn't expecting a question like that no I know <laughs> I throw uh, it in there and people are like oh oops. <laughs> I I think my favorite thing is, is my creative side Tell me something about you and your creativity. Um, so I have I have a degree in fine arts, not oh, wow. that I ever really used it. Um, and so, you know, it's it's hard as a mom to find that time for yourself to to do creative things. And so I try to challenge myself to think about, you know, I don't have to be sitting down and drawing to be creative. I can. Mm. I can, you know, make my home beautiful, or I can appreciate the beauty and, you know, flowers that I see, or the way the sunlight comes through the trees, or all of those things, and then kind of pass them on to my children, like, oh, you know, look at that beautiful sky, it looks like a painting, those kind of things. Um, Oh, Maria, that's magical. That's really lovely. What a lovely gift. What would you say the most important job of a parent is? This is the last one. Oh gosh, you you have to be their you have to be their safe, their safety, their support. You know, the world is uh, a big scary place. And knowing that you have that one grown-up or or two grown-ups who or five grown-ups, if you want to add in the grandparents and all that stuff, but that one person who will love you support you, stand by you, be your champion. I think that has to be it. Mm, Wow. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Maria. Now, before we go, is there anything that you want to talk about that you've got to plug that you want to tell us about that you're doing at the moment? That, um, yeah, sure. I have a, um, a website and I am really enjoying my Instagram account these days. Um, so you can find me at places we call home and you'll link to that, right? Yep. Yep. I'll send you, we'll put the link. Um, 
So it's really a space for particularly moms, but overwhelmed parents to kind of find that joy in life and, you know, cut through the clutter and and have kids who are responsible and helpful around the house and get some of that mom joy back in your heart. That sounds incredible. Really capturing the joy. I love that. Really, really lovely. I'm so grateful for you coming on and talking with us today, Maria. It's been wonderful hearing your story. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with me, Beth Hardy. And if you want to connect with me more, you can get along to any of my socials, Your Family Wellbeing Coach on TikTok and Instagram. And you can find me at Stop the Triggers on Facebook. I hope to connect with you very soon. If you have a question that you want answering, we might be able to do a podcast all about that. So please do drop me a line. I'm so grateful for everyone who listens listens to this podcast see if you can rate and subscribe so we can make it bigger and better every week okay.